Hey, what's going on, guys? Dom the Movie Nerd here, and have you heard the good word? Game of Thrones is back! Well, not really, but the first official spinoff, House of the Dragon, is set to premiere next year on HBO, and that got me thinking about how Game of Thrones, the number one most-watched show for a decade, just seemingly disappeared from the culture after that god-awful finale. And I wanted to find out why, which is why I'm proud to present the newest hit show from the Talking TV network, Talking Thrones, the new weekly show where myself and friend of the channel, Professor Pat Huber, get together to break down each and every single episode of this hit show. We've got focus character segments, we break down the lore, we go over some old reviews, all to get to the question of where did this show go wrong? It's a really fun time. You guys are not going to want to miss this. So head over to the Talking TV channel on YouTube and Spotify to check it out. We go live every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Audio goes up the following Saturday. It's going to be a really great time as we once again battle it out for the throne. All right, people, we're here. I've got my brand new setup almost officially ready to go, and we're here to get a little bit spooky tonight because, Chris, did the devil make you do it? Yeah, Dom, I can confirm the devil is, in fact, making me podcast tonight. The devil is, in <laughs> fact, making you podcast. People, we're just a couple of sinners here ready to give you guys your normal, regular, every week podcast. This is Conjuring Devil Made Me Do It. It feels like we were just quite literally sitting here, although not quite in this spot. I was kind of back there, like right behind me, you know, but I was on an inflatable mattress instead of my actual bed <laughs> frame. And so you can imagine why, even though this episode will be up three days later, why I'm getting this crazy sense of deja vu about this. Right. I mean, hey, man, look, at least your new setup is looking great. And you uh, thankfully... Thanks, I'm sure have enough holy water around. God forbid something happens. Hopefully. Well, I mean, I got a water <laughs> bottle right here, but it's empty, and I don't know if it's filled with holy water. So, you know. Gotcha. We'll, well, you're not we'll supposed to, to drink it, so. That is true. That is true. We're just supposed to use it as like a protective ring. And people, in case you didn't know, in case you weren't aware of our average any, everyday annual daily podcast, this is, of course, the Talking TV podcast. I'm Dom the Movie Nerd, and that's Chris the TV Nerd. We're just a regular couple of sinners here to talk about, quite possibly, Chris... I don't really know how to categorize this one because, like, I feel like it it does everything that it's supposed to, but in a strange way, it feels underwhelming. You ever felt that way before? Yeah, many times. And yeah, but it, it, it's not it's not a good feeling. Yeah, this is just the most recent installment because I, I think I echo that sentiment. While I um, don't think I'm as hard on it as maybe you are in, in that initial very vague phrasing. I certainly can't say I don't see where you're coming from. And to go even further, I can't say that I don't share some of the same feelings. So, I mean, yeah. you know, sh shall we just get into the thing? The spoiler-free Yeah, let's review? dive in. Let's dive into it. So, people, as you know, last Friday we talked about The Conjuring 1 and 2 as part of our retrospective. And tonight we're talking about Conjuring Part 3, The Devil Made Me Do It, which, of course, dropped directly on HBO Max. This one, despite the fact that Juan returned for the script, this one was not... Written, this one was not directed by James Wan. In fact, it was directed by another um, 
another director from within the Conjuring universe, the director of Curse of La Llorona, which I have to still see whether or not La Llorona is actually part of this franchise or not. It I is. don't actually it remember is. off the top. It is? Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure because I, I was trying to keep track of all of them. And, there, and I've heard it's like, like one of the of worst received ones too outside of like yeah, the Yeah, it's like, it's like the second it's like the second worst received it's like the second or third received one besides like the Nun and Annabelle the first Annabelle which has widely right. been like considered to be like one of the worst movies of 2014 when it came out but it was directed by the guy's name is Michael Chavez Michael Chavez who was the director of Curse of La Llorona and Chris did you watch La Llorona? No, I think I'm going to torture myself, though, and just go back and complete this universe, because I've already seen The Nun, so I've seen half of the films, and at this point, it's like, I might as well just, you know... May as well finish it. You're a completist. You're a completist. I get it. I, I am one as well. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll begrudgingly finish franchises, even if they come to a crappy end. Cough, Star Wars. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> easy, easy shot, I know, but I, I am a completionist, you know, or <laughs> lost. But, um... Uh, yeah, so we have... Well, I'll disagree we, so with you there, because the Lost Finale yeah, is cinema gold. I know. It's TV gold. It's about as emotionally... It's but, about uh, as emotionally manipulative as you can get. But so, we have this third movie, right? Which is both the continuing... It's like the eighth or ninth installment in the Conjuring franchise. And it's the third installment overall in the trilogy. And as I said, I believe... And I did my research, too, in order to back on my point for Friday. I still believe that this is the only threequel besides John Wick 3 that introduces the subtitle into the franchise entirely. So, I, I, it, it kind of gets points for creativity there. But I guess if we're going to kick it off, right, with our spoiler-free thoughts... My whole thing that I immediately noticed with the start of this movie is okay so the interesting thing that these movies have done i think is that even though they maintain i would say a fairly similar story they've made it because of the kind of the anthological aspect of it right similar to certain other anthological shows like black you know that would revolve around like one character that would go from like different setting to different setting to different setting to different setting the setting can kind of like warp and adjust around what the story actually calls for right but with this time around, it's kind of warps in a way that I don't know if it's necessarily the fact that it's not as well written as the first two, but it definitely warps in a way that kind of comes off as like a little bit cheesier and schlockier and almost a little bit lower than like what this franchise is normally hitting at before, if that makes any sense. It's kind of like just like what I use, like break open the ice, if you will. No, I think it's a great icebreaker because I, like I said in our in our intro here, I definitely echo similar sentiments to you, but just knowing you and and sort of the way that these types of podcasts go when we have a similar feeling about a film that kind of maybe left us wanting more or was underwhelming, or at least with how good these first two are, really had a, a high bar set for it. I think I think we're going to differ on what we disliked about it. And so I'll start with what I, I agree with you on is that, yeah, I, I, you know, I was trying to think what is the aspect of this film that makes it little a little bit lackluster, maybe not stand as tall up next to its two predecessors, which... I've come around on it. I know on our Friday night stream, guys, I sort of said that I thought they were great, but something about them was stopping them from being perfect movies. And I think it's because I realized how important the theater-going experience is to specifically the horror genre, and honestly, all film in general. Especially to the horror genre. But especially to the horror genre, but I'm not going to let that sort of stand in the way of the fact that they are perfect movies. I, so I have come around to that and made my peace with it. I wasn't around when they were in theaters as far as being a film lover and a film uh, critiquer goes so I wouldn't have seen them and that's just something I can't fix so I'm not going to lament on it but 
now having the chance to have this third one and and given the option to watch it at home or in theaters i chose to watch it at home just to complete the trilogy the way i had watched it and so putting myself in the same situation as the first two i thought to myself well james wan is attached to this but he's attached to himself uh, attached to this in different ways he's the writer and the producer here well one of the writers and one of the producers but i'm sure being that this franchise is his baby really it's uh he's got to have a hefty hand in those roles but i think this is where you kind of learn because you 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 know you and i we've listened to a lot of interviews we've taken classes sometimes the screenwriter is like pissed that the movie was made because it wasn't made the way that he thought it was going to be made and it flops and it makes him look bad because it's out of his hands at that point and so I think that Michael Chavez took a lot of liberties that I think on the page made for a really interesting, kind of like A Quiet Place, a different turn for another installment, taking the uh, horror genre and, and sort of getting out of the haunted house and getting a little more like a cult murder mystery style, but but still a solid story because... Like Krasinski had a solid story for A Quiet Place 1 and 2, even though those are two drastically different tonal movies... I think the same thing is present here, and I think this. I I, I mean, I want you you to you, you to, I'm passing it over to you now, but I I don't want to blame anyone because I still, for the most part, right. enjoyed watching this movie. But I do think something went wrong, and I think it might be this Chavez guy, unfortunately. So I wanted to point. I wanted to real quick just bounce off another point that you brought up from last night, which was the idea of kind of you know the need to see these movies in the theaters versus at home, and kind of the convenience factor of it at home, right? And I mentioned a point where it's like, okay, you have it's really a fifty-fifty shot because you don't know until you actually watch the movie. It became almost immediately apparent to me that I'm like, yeah, I can watch this at home as background noise, and I'll still like get exactly everything that I need to from this movie, right? And that's like automatically thing number one that kind of showed me that like, oh, this just it doesn't have the same kind of majesty as the first two you know as far as like even though the um even though you could tell like the the low budget fare of it it's still the fact that like it's shot in a way that feels cinematic if that makes any sense versus this one i think right off the bat the thing that's more noticeable to me is it feels more like a tv movie you know and obviously we have to take into consideration all the things that go into the shooting of this movie but like it looks flatter the colors look more like uh like a tv palette almost the cinematography is flashy and interesting at certain points but in like a marvel way where it's just like oh we're kind of just showing off and there's not really like necessarily a reason as to behind the camera shots versus in the first two it definitely feels like there was intent put behind each one of those cameras you know and, and so I, I think that like well i don't I, I think that your point about chavez is great as well because it kind of shows it's like okay this is the difference between somebody who was experienced and has purpose and intent with everything that he does in filmmaking for somebody who again i didn't watch la Llorona, but just based off of everything i heard about it is kind of just trying to make like something that's shocking and that will constantly keep your attention you know yeah yeah you know i wanted to fight you on the whole uh, feels like a tv movie but then the more i hear you explain it and the more I think about it there are TV isms but I, I still wouldn't go as far as to say that I, I still right. think so that 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 
that's bad terminology. It just as far as like kind of I, I feel like kind of the structuring of it and like the way that like certain of the shots I'm like, I've got to see that in like TV shows. You know, it's not to like downgrade it to like TV quality, but like I'm talking about as far as like there is a distinct difference between the way certain television shows are are shot versus movies are shot. It's strictly from like a craft and lens standpoint. So yeah, I think, you know, and what we do have a segment prepared for James Wan later, so we'll really dive in and dissect that in just a little bit, guys. Please stick with us. But I can at least say now without sort of spoiling anything, ironically enough, in the spoiler-free segment, um, that, you know, I think even though Juan has a few at-bats where he swung and missed, uh, the Nun, and um, I believe the second Insidious wasn't all that well-received. I've still yet to watch those. And a few other films, too. I mean, he, he's done quite a few at this point. Uh, Chavez, this is his third film. This is his third feature. Yeah. And so I was impressed yeah, thinking that and hearing that. And I think, you know, creative people tend to keep other creative people around. I'm sure that Juan wouldn't entrust just anyone with the third film. I mean, sure, he's right. busy working on Aquaman and, and, and there's reasons, right, why he couldn't. And he's waited too long at this point anyways to put a third one out. So there's reasons why he couldn't right. helm this one. And we got to right. keep that in mind. But to pick Chavez, I mean... Yeah, he had like, to have seen dude, something. It's it's I guess, but like if you just look at like the Rotten Tomatoes, again, I hate hate referring to Rotten Tomato scores for anything, but it's like if you look at like the ratings overall from like the best in this kind of overall shared universe of movies to the worst, it's like La Llorona comes in at like number three from the worst. It's like yeah. Annabelle, The Nun, and La Llorona. Like that's that's not a good sign as far as far as that goes, you know? Right. No, I, and that's what I've been sort of scratching my head about, and that's why I now want to watch La Llorona, it just probably just to torture myself. But uh, you, know, you know what this is all telling me, Dom? It seems like the spoiler-free section has run its course, and we can... And further yes. sort of crack this let's, chestnut in in later yes, let's sections. Get, let's get into talking about this movie. Yeah, let's get into talking about this movie. Yeah, definitely. So, guys, you know, let us know your spoiler-free thoughts below, of course, and and please like, subscribe, and turn the bell on to this video and this in this channel. It would it would mean a lot and really help us out. So, yeah, Dom, take us into the next segment, man. Let's get into this thing. Yeah. So almost immediately, right? So we have right the plot, the overall central plot of this movie, which is that the Warrens this time have to solve a case of potential witchcraft, right? It's actually interesting because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that this might be the first time in the franchise where the opening scene, which is usually kind of like separate and kind of like a thing to like sort of introduce the movie, is actually used within the rest of the movie, right? As far as like kind of the first two conjurings, the way that they opened up was that the Warrens were kind of off doing something different while the main plot thing was kind of unraveling on its own and then the Warrens usually become involved like around like the beginning slash like more so towards the middle of the movie right this time around we open with the Warrens and not only that but the plot as far as that goes about this demonic possession supposedly of uh this teenage kid that results in him almost murdering um you know his girlfriend ends up be, like playing into the rest of the movie as far as okay so now he's in jail and the majority of the movie is almost like this kind of like really weird interesting courtroom case where they warrants have to go and prove that this has happened to other people so that way they can prove the kid innocent and along the way they get a, they get into some really really hokey shit involving a former pa uh, involving a former preacher whose daughter spoiler 
spoilers, but turns out to be a witch. Like, it gets into, like, all sorts of, like, ridiculous direction that I'm like, okay, I give it props for, like, kind of trying to do the bigger, bolder thing and continue to do with this franchise. But, like, I don't know, Chris. Is, is it just me or is this starting to sound like there's a little bit too much plot going on here? Yeah, well, listen, we're obviously compa- comparing it now to its predecessors, which were two gigantically successful horror films. I mean, the first one, when I went back and sort of read some articles, did some homework and pre- preparation for this, I mean... It seems like it, you were hard-pressed to find someone who didn't receive this movie very positively. And, and rightfully so. It's it's a solid film. Uh, the, the problem and why it's always going to be hard, I think, to compare these two films, outside of just the James Wan of it all and his touch being so masterful and really being able to see when he's behind the camera versus when someone else is, I, I think it's because we really changed direction here we we shifted gears you know we went from being haunting films uh, haunted houses uh, jump scares relying on using children to sort of plan our emotions so we feel for the children it's terrible that they're being tortured and yeah there's still children in this one but i we're not in this bottled sort of one house or you know this bottled sort of one street in england anymore where more exploring and we're kind of also not seeing the Warrens as these secondary characters, the families in the first two, in my opinion, really are the lens of which we're looking through. We've shifted gears completely. So we went from being haunted movies where we're focusing on the family and the Warrens are coming in to help to now we are sort of turning into like a thriller, a horror thriller, sort of like murder mystery detective style movie where instead of looking through the lens of the family, sure they're present and we feel for them, we're looking through the lens of the Warrens trying to solve them to then help the family. So we've kind of like shifted the pieces around a little bit, which, hey, I think they could have honestly made another film very similar to the first two and probably would have been better off. It seems like they're getting roasted on the internet. I do respect the tonal change at this point, especially because for some reason there's a cinematic universe around these films. So, I, you know, it, it's the, it's the it's the silent cinematic universe that we didn't know about, right? Marvel obviously was was the big one, right? DC was the one that tried and failed. Sony and Universal and the Dark Universe were the ones that were just never even a thing before they even started, right? And then you have Godzilla, and then you have the MonsterVerse, which just recently announced its shared cinematic universes, but in a way that like kind of worked because there were so f- far fewer movies. And then you have this one where it's like okay, there are all these different movies and they just don't mention how they're interconnected and they just like actually, it's weird because it's like the only franchise that like actually has the, that actually like has the foresight to only use the the hidden clues and the Easter eggs within the movie as connections to the other movies. They don't necessarily need to build it in as elements of their plot, you know, which is kind of how they're able to get away with this interesting mix, right? Like, I, like that's the beautiful thing about watching the movies is you can watch the Conjuring movies without actually having to watch the Annabelle movies, right? But if you do watch them, you'll get, like, all this different, like, interesting, rich and backstory. But it's not like a Star Wars or a Marvel thing where it's like, okay, you really have to have seen all these other things in order to know who this character is and what's going on on you know and as far as the whole thing with the warrens you're right the tonal shift in and of itself as an idea is an interesting change the problem is within its application right 
I don't think it entirely works because while the structure is sound, the actual things that are happening within the structure are kind of lackluster and kind of hokey. And it almost feels like it's trying to be like a more schlocky, like B-level movie rather than like, I'm not going to say like serious Dora affair, but like the first two were like trying to be like these really interesting art films. Really, yeah, I was going right? to ask you, like, that, how like, would you categorize them? Because I would say they're like prestige horror. Like the, honestly. I agree. I agree. The first two are prestige horror and this one is more of like kind of like a schlocky campy people movie. Like, I'm sorry. I'm not going to lie. There, I was getting Black Christmas vibes. I was getting oh, Black no, Christmas vibes. Not, not that bad. Not, not nearly to that extent because like this still like clearly was made by a much more competent filmmaker because say what you will but Michael Chavez did train under the gun so he knows what he's doing way more than, than whoever the fuck directed Black Christmas but there were points where I'm like oh this is getting really schlocky the good thing is that with the way that it was filmed it reminded me more of Gretel and Hansel as far as another like recent movie that I saw that like it had involved witchcraft and that movie was beautifully shot those like they're, they're like these weird like, kind of off kilter like A24 movies that aren't A24 movies like Gretel and Hansel <laughs> was one Mainstream was yeah. one but like you kind of think of it that way, and you're like, "Oh Can I ask no!" You this, like then? once they intro- once they reveal, hold on, sure, wait, sure, sure. like I just gotta finish this point. Once they reveal that the the villain, the antagonist, the end is an actual, honest to god witch, like I I legitimately I'm like I don't know how to feel right now. I'm like I legitimately don't know how to feel right yeah, now. Yeah, it was strange to not have it be something of the the paranormal because that's what we right. know not, uh, well, that's about the, these not films. Not necessarily of the. Not necessarily of the paranormal, but the shift from the paranormal to the occult, making the occult an actual part of this movie, you know? Because you'd think that the two of them would sync together nicely. They, strangely enough, don't. Not as much as you would think, right? Yeah, and you know, here's the thing. I, not that I've studied the occult or the paranormal outside of just being a fan of Hollywood and watching what they give me, but I, I, I can say that it almost felt like the demonic aspects uh, of the occult were there to sort of say to the audiences who were coming because they love one and two so much, the the first films, uh, hey, we still have something here for you, even though we know we're changing it up a bit. It it, it did feel like maybe it was... Because I think, honestly, if it would have just dug its heels into this witchcraft thing, since so much of the story was based on that, and had it sort of been like a battle of the minds, right? Like, who was going to win? Is it going to be the Warrens? Or is it going to be this this witch woman who was raised by the priest and feels slighted by her upbringing? You know, like, I think that would have been much more interesting because take out the paranormal aspects, you know, the few times we have some of the more demonic scares. It's still a dark, creepy movie. It's st- oh, you it know, is, it's without a doubt. Uh, yeah. but, uh, so, you know, with all that said, uh, this is actually great because my question that I wanted to ask still, I think, holds like a, a solid place in the conversation. Do, so do you respect the change? Do you respect the shift or or what's your take on that? I, res- I respect the inherent change in idea in the shift. And the the decision to pursue more of the occult rather than the straight up supernatural, which they have done in the first two movies. I respect the decision. I don't respect certain elements of the story where it's like, oh, she's going to confront the one guy who was seemed kind of shady. And then, of course, it turned out he was. And then he just dies. And I'm like, and he get, but not before he gives a big grand old monologue about how his the mistakes of his past have resulted in this current evil that they're dealing with. And I'm like, okay, like this this franchise, and quite frankly, well, okay, not this franchise, but this this movie, these move, this set of movies in particular is above that sort of like you know that sort of you know 
rigmarole, if you will. And, like, those are just the parts of the movies that, like, made me roll my eyes in the way that, like, the first one, if we're just taking that as an isolated cause, like, legitimately wowed me at, you yeah, know? Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. It's like, I respect the direction. I just think it was the execution steps on its toes and I think that's obviously abundant to, to the I mean look man even my non-critic friends who have seen this are like it's different in a weird way like not the yeah. most eloquent answer in they're not critics way. but like they're not right but but you still of, get the idea yeah they're not for it now uh, before we jump into another segment my next question for you that kind of ties off this oh boy I think this is the first time where it's like you're interrogating me instead of me interrogating you. I feel like it's a, it's a, like good how it switched around. <laughs> you know, I've been, I had a long day at work. It was it was blisteringly it. hot, and I, I was able it. to really think about this movie. Um, it was the complete opposite. It was super boring for me because there was literally no one in my store the entire day, but I still was able to think about this movie. The, the problem was I, I didn't think about it nearly as much because I'm like, man, I'm struggling hard to remember most of the stuff <laughs> about this movie other than like the crazy moments. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I feel that. <laughs> but no, like what I wanted to, to ask you was like with with the whole sort of tonal shift, do, do, do you think that maybe we didn't? Because I, I almost wonder, I respect them for trying something new, bringing in more of the occult, in my opinion, having it be more of like a murder mystery sort of thriller chase type film, like finding who's responsible for this. But I, I almost think this is a franchise where they could have gotten away with just like another warring case of the same old in a different yeah. town because they're yeah. so well made, right? Or, 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 I'll take it one step further, right? Obviously, besides bringing Juan back as a director, right, regardless of whether he wanted to do it, I just think, I think the approach is off, right? I think, I think, I personally think you could have the occult be a part of this movie while not having it be the focus of this movie, if it makes sense, right? Rather than that be like a mystery where they're like hopping from place to place trying to solve the clues, making it almost like a schlocky Scooby-Doo hunt, I think, because I actually saw this idea online, and I think that this actually works way better for this movie, which is where you have it be this legal drama where, again, like, bear with me here, but where it takes place in the court case, but... Then you bring in the elements of the occult. And the reason why I bring that up is because there's precedence for this working in movies because that's literally the plot of The Devil's Advocate. You just, instead of having the ridiculously over-the-top ending with Pacino yelling about how he's a fan of man, you know, you have it be like this exorcism slash weird pursuit of like the witch. You could have it be like where they're trying to exorcise the kid while the witch is trying to pursue them at the same time, right? Add tension on top of tension. Like, I hate to be like pitching a better movie, but like, I don't know. Does that, does that help? Does does that really answer your question? Um, it answers my question that there clearly was a problem in regards to the directional shift because it seems like it, the tone was never fully established. And, you know, you bring up the right. courtroom drama. You've brought it up twice. It seems like you really felt the courtroom drama. Dude, uh, to be honest with you, that was the smallest portion of the film. And I think they could have done without it because right. of how and little they the dug their heels into it. Right, and that's the problem, because the problem is that this the whole thing that this is based off is the court case, right? This is the first time in these specific movies that they have, you know, utilized the court case as a part of the demonic cult of possession, right? The first one was, mo the first two were mostly isolated in the locations where they took place, right? And so I think if you brought in that element, that I think would have been a way to like almost kind of continue this weird level of prestige that these movies have built up with this shift in tone and direction, right? But because they chose not to focus on that, and again, you're right, because they chose to make that such a small part of the movie, it feels more like an afterthought. And until we get into, again, like this goofy, for lack of a better word, Scooby-Doo hunt, mm. and now they're just having a beat where it's like the whole 
this is another part, and we'll get into this in a later segment, but this is another thing that I, I kind of was starting to feel the way that you did with that first movie of, like, the Warrens, but in a different way, where you thought that the Warrens were kind of, like, the flattest part about the first one, and while I, I do see where you're coming from with there, I thought the Warrens are just like, okay, so they're just straight up, like, daredevils now. Like, Elaine is, like, <laughs> up, is, Elaine, Elaine is literally chasing the high of her visions because she's so enraptured by kind of, like, the power that she gets from them, literally to the point where she puts her husband in danger multiple times and then now you have ed who's practically on the verge of having a heart attack throughout the movie literally to the point where he has like multiple like how many does he have in this movie it's kind of ridiculous to the point where i'm like they they kind of end it with like not even like kind of the bow tie on top kind of just like with like the documentary crawling up from the bottom and i'm like yeah i'm left with this really weird strange feeling where i'm like what, what is happening with these two you know yeah no you're totally right it's you know so I think while we're still in the comparison phase, right, the first two to the third one, say what you will, at least, and I still stand by my sentiment where I did think the weakest performances of the cast, the central cast in the first film were the Warrens. They were still enjoyable. It's still a really great film for me. Like, it still ranks high. It's just that I was so invested that I, I liked that movie so much that I, I, I just want to like it even more because that's how much I liked it. Does that make sense? And so... yes. Because it's weird. Us humans, we can do things like that that just don't, quite don't make sense. But, you know, we're able to compartmentalize like that. So I want to make sure it comes across to our listeners so they're on the same page with me. Right. Um, and so while I felt that way about the first one, uh, the second one I thought was perfect all around. I was fully invested in all of the characters and I thought it was a phenomenal, phenomenal just right uh, pr- process from page to screen. And the third one, I think... The problem is the only characters that really get developed are the Warrens. And they're not developed in this film, in my opinion. They're developed from previous movies. So you have a larger cast than we've ever seen. Now you have this town. I know nothing about this town. All I know is from the end that this is the first time there was a murder ever made in this town from this case. Great. You probably should have told me that in the beginning. (sighs) Second of all, it's just like, this is messy. It's... We, we got bigger, but we didn't do the work to make it justified, in my opinion. It's a it's a bad episode of Mindhunter without David Fincher's precision, is what it is. Because there are literally sequences in this movie where I feel like, oh man, he just watched Mindhunter and he loved the sequences of Holden and the other FBI officer walking through the woods, having this really intense conversation, and he's definitely going to try and mimic that. Like, that's what it felt like in the scene of the woods where they're walking, and that she has the vision of the demon, and she almost gets pulled off the cliff, where I'm like, okay, like, we've seen some, those demons do some crazy shit with Elaine in this movie, but we're getting to just straight up just like X-Men shit, as far as that goes, you know, where you're just like having them like jump into different bodies and you're having them like literally like get pulled and manipulated by spirits and ed is like battling this like giant freaking like mega demon i'm like yeah. when did this turn into freaking army of the dead you know like this is getting ridiculous it was some stranger things bullshit that one scene where like 11's picking up the kids and, and mike's like put them down like it was like that works for stranger things we're talking about kids yes. in a completely different universe anyways right i, I think our comparisons are over. I- I'd say we should move into our Warren-specific segment if you're yeah. cool with that. 
Because in case it wasn't pretty obvious, I don't think this compares well to the first two. <laughs> yeah, I would say that that's... <laughs> as, if, as if that wasn't completely obvious enough from the points that we brought up already. I, I would say that's the general consensus of the segment. I think it's hilarious how direct you were in that. By the way, man... You, I have to be. I I'm muting out just because like, I'm you know, a, a good podcasting form when you're tweaking. But right, like, right, just so people who right. aren't watching the video, I'm like laughing a lot during this one dom's comparisons are so cold-hearted like you're really the way you're just like <laughs> digging into this movie right now is hilarious to me <laughs> i kind of had a lot of time on my hands to think about it today so i kind yeah. of like i'm like okay if this is the new mindset as far as a new location new mindset i'm down yeah. with it you know i didn't want to draw too much attention to it at the risk of jinxing no, myself I'm, but. I'm into it. it it makes sense and i think it's kind of the um it, it's it's the talking to that this movie deserves after how good the first two were, I would say. Yeah. So yeah, and the, and the sad part is I'm not even going to give it that bad of a rating. Like I I I still don't. This still isn't to me like worst of the year material. Not even close. Right, for but sure. like and because that yeah mm, that's the problem with this franchise so far. Yeah yeah well well well, 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 I, well this whole cinematic universe I would say yeah. not this specific franchise. All right, but, so uh, guys, but we'll get we'll get into the next I mean, topic. That's basically how much it compares to the yeah, first two. I'm so. sure you guys really don't disagree with us, but. Honestly, if you do, if there's ever a time to like be that YouTuber who's like, let me know in the comments, now is when I want to know if you're like, if, if there's anyone out there who's like, you guys are stupid. This is the best one. That is insane to me. Please comment. Oh, Please man, comment. I hope so. I hope th I hope that we get that commenter. But uh, yeah, so be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already as we move on to our next segment, Chris, which is the Warrens. We talked about them a little yes. bit in our last segment, but I'm like... I'm like, what the, what the fuck happened here? You know, like, I, I, I'll admit that, like, part of the thing that got me, like, really invested in them in the first two is the fact that, like, they really were, like, the first movie couple that I've seen that were, like, on the same page and not in, like, a super forced, obnoxious movie way, you know? Like, they actually had, like, a shared interest, but both had, like, their own individual personalities that made them, you know? Like, like Ed is more of, like, a churchgoer, and uh, Lorraine is definitely more interested in, like, the supernatural aspect, but because they've all got their own individual strengths, individual strengths, they complement each other on a scale that really I don't think can be compared to any other movie and that's and and that combined with their own emotional strife is to me what a lot what has allowed me to become engaged with those two specifically throughout these movies and here it's like problem number one with Elaine besides the fact that her powers like I said before are literally x-men level this time is that She's just doing all these things that are deliberately putting Ed in danger. Like, and I'm not saying that facetiously. She literally, like, almost accidentally kills him multiple times, you know? Granted, he, the, the favor is exchanged, right? He he almost kills her, accidentally kills her once as well. But, like, it's getting to the point where I'm like, okay, yo, you guys are getting into, like, some midlife crisis type shit here. Because this is getting ridiculous. Like, this is getting to the point where it's like, 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 you guys are literally just doing this for, like, attention at this point, you know? And... I, I guess that it's so disheartening because I'm like, part, part of, you know, my vested interest among the multiple other things that I thought were better about the first one was their kind of vest, both individual vested interest in the occult. And now that we're kind of getting into this like schlocky daredevil level, it's like, in addition to the many other problems that I have with this movie, it just, the character work just doesn't feel the same, you know? Yeah, so I'm, just so you guys know, the only reason my phone's out is because I wrote some notes on the Warrens in specific. So I'm breaking good showman okay, form good. so I can make sure that 
What I'm telling you right now is exactly the way I had written it down at work. But before I get into my notes, I have to agree. It's like they're doing a bit. It's like they watch some classic Abbott and Costello and they're like, cool, like now I'm, when I do this, you jump and they'll laugh or something like that. Like, it's just so stupid. Like, they're just playing this game of cat and mouse that they don't need to be playing. And it's frustrating to watch. I, I, I personally felt that way because I, what I wrote down was, and I think the reason why I thought they felt flat because I did have a bit of a change of heart on that and I say I'm saving it. I was saving it for this segment. I think it's because movies and film and just entertainment in general, it's obviously a dramatic dramatization of real life. And so it's rare when a film can capture an ebb and flow of the couples we see every day on screen. And I genuinely, looking back, think I was a little off-put by the chemistry between Ed and Lorraine Warren because it wasn't like movie chemistry. It, it legitimately felt like they were married. And that was strange to me, yes. especially in horror, because like I'm going to say something crazy and I don't think I'm going to regret it tomorrow morning. If I do, just check my Twitter. <laughs> I'll tweet it out. I, I, I think that like these aren't just prestige horror films. These are like classy horror films. The first two. The first two. Yes. They have like... Yes. You I know, agree. They, I agree with that 100%. And it's just like, James Wan. Like, wow. Okay. I did not expect this. And so they feel too real. And I think it makes it all the more scarier. And so in the third yes. one, you know... Chavez doesn't have to do much homework. That's already established. And him dropping the ball on it is so frustrating because you're speaking a lot about Vera Farmiga's superpowers in this movie. And it's not like those are hidden. They were there in the first two, except we didn't see the sequences, right? We kind of used... It was projected more in a way that felt like more like empath level, which is something that I know, which is like, okay, you read somebody else's emotions. But here it's like straight up just visions, visions and like hallucinations and like body jumping. Like we got into fucking like her just jumping around into different bodies in this one. Like it's a professor. Yeah, it's Assassin's right Creed. There. She goes, <laughs> she, Literally. She, she can see like the, the blue, <laughs> she can see like the steps. She goes into like the middle realm and she can like piece it all together. And I, th- that's it. I think it really diminishes her character. I think it takes her from... And, like, the whole plot line of the cops needing her to prove that she's this person she is and they can't solve the case and she does. And, like, confirming what we already saw in the first two, I'm sorry, but we already knew this, first of all. Second of all, it's, it's like, why would you shift who she is so much? You know, we, we completely... and And... And those sequences, not only did they shift who she was and make her a comic book character as opposed to a real person who I literally felt like I could have met on the street after watching the first two, just an average everyday human being, not the megastar that is Vera Famiglia, right? Like, I genuinely felt that that's who she was for off the first two. Now she feels like uh, DC's Constantine or something, like um, like a CW show that's like trying to get its legs and get another well, season. It, well, in this case, she is the Zatanna to Ed's Constantine, is what I would yes, say. Yes, exactly. And let's talk about Ed. He went from yeah. I thought it was actually interesting. You know, they aged, and I thought they actually did a good job address- addressing the ten years. That I was agree. good. I liked that. It that I like that. That was well done. 
And then Ed is literally turned into his character from Watchmen, where he's literally just a punching bag for the first two thirds of the movie until the last act where he's like, hey, I'm actually going to do something now. And he like waddles around because he can like barely move because his heart's literally about to give out. So. Yeah. And I mean, look, Ed was still <laughs> strong. He was still cunning. And she was sort of still like all the missing pieces to him. But I don't, they just made them. At the same time, it was the same characters we know and love, but they weren't acting like themselves. It was almost like they were the ones who were possessed, and they were doing things that we hadn't seen them do before. And I get it, this is like the biggest case ever, but they're still the same people, right? Like, I don't know, what's your take on all that? No, I I agree with you. It, it, it's kind of it's always jarring to me when like you have like these shifts in characterization to the point where they don't start they don't feel like the same characters that you started off with. You know, right? There's there's kind of this rule or this kind of unspoken rule in TV, right? Which uh, specifically long running TV show forms, right? Which is where you kind of have to excuse the first season, not necessarily because the first season can still be good, right? But usually part of the interest of a TV show is seeing the characters in the first season versus in the last season to see how they grow and change, which in a way also reflects the actors because the actors are getting to know the character and becoming more comfortable with it, which is usually why even if the quality of the overall show goes down in the last couple seasons, the acting is pitch perfect, you know? But the interesting phenomenon is that with movies, it's almost kind of like the opposite, where because, right, movies were initially conceived to only have, like, one story told within two hours, right, you have this case of where people get so used to the character and embodying them for that little bit of time. But then they have to do it again, right, for sequels, and you start to see changes in characteristics, sometimes not necessarily for the best, right? It's changed a lot, and it's definitely gotten to the point where it's like, yeah, actors can definitely carry it across multiple films. Just look at the Marvel movies, right? Those are, again, like, with as many faults as we have with those movies, again, part of the reason, of many reasons why those movies worked is because they were... Uh, those actors were able to maintain the characteristics that people like that they put into those characters across 10 years, you know? And here, it's just gone in the complete opposite wrong direction. You know, you literally have, like, these two very endearing, very charming, very intelligent characters that are just making dumb decisions and starting to act like generic horror movie characters, per se, you know? Because it's almost like they become self-aware of their invulnerability, right? The reason why we can laugh at Vin Diesel doing it in The Fast and Furious is because those movies kind of, the, the, they, they allow the characters to, strangely enough, grow and change with the movies because as the, the stunts and the overall action gets more and more ridiculous, the inherent self-awareness of the characters vulnerability gets more and more ridiculous and it kind of creates for like this perfect insane synergy versus here it's like they're still trying to keep the tone mostly grounded but the characters are starting to get over the top the scenarios in the world are starting to get over the top it's like there isn't like that kind of perfect synergy that you want from your movies yeah they're not you hit the nail on the head i think with the fast and furious comparison because i think those movies Vin Diesel grows with the scope of the property. Paul Walker grew with the scope yes. of the property. And and I keep Yeah. Vin Diesel was a human being in those movies at one point before he evolved into the god-esque figure that he is by the time where we are in the right. franchise. But when he evolved to that god-esque figure, the scenarios he's in require a god, whereas before someone on the street could have gotten the job done. And we don't have that progression yes. here. You know, we we take a yes, we take, agreed. I would say not a bold step. We've seen third installments or second installments of, I mean, hell, we saw one last week with, uh, you know, Quiet Place. They took a, a different step in a familiar world tonally. The thing about that movie now, the more I keep looking back and referring to it, those characters grew with the scenario. It all coalesced together. Whereas here, and I think we're pretty close to our next. It's like they're, de it's like they're devolving. It's like they're devolving. And so I, I can't 
elaborate on that anymore without speaking about the directors here. So do you want to pop into the next segment? I agree. Yes, please. So we're doing... Is, is this change of tone or is this the change this of This is going to be the final segment that we have written down, which is a combination of both. It's the change right. of the tone and the director shift. So with that being said, guys, right. you know... Just you know what to do. Like, subscribe, and hit that bell. We got to get into the segment and keep on the ball. Dom, I'm passing it off to you, man. Yes, indeed. So the shift in directors. We've seen this happen with multiple other franchises. It's not the first time it's happened. It has almost always been to the detriment of the franchise because before Marvel came around and proved that like they could just literally do anything, right? They could shift. They could shift directors. They could shift tone, whatever. They could shift storyline. They could even shift out actors, you know, because they recast two stars, two of the big heavy hitters in the MCU from within their initial installments to their subsequent installments with Don Cheadle and Mark Ruffalo replacing um, Terrence Howard and uh, Edward Norton, respectively. But it's almost always to the detriment, right? The guy who came in to direct Terminator 3 after James Cameron left for Terminator 2, like Terminator 3 was what it was. I, I've heard it's one of the better received ones of all the post-T2 Terminator movies, you know, and it certainly does better than McGee, Alan Taylor, and, you know, Tim Miller as far as that goes. But like David Fincher coming in, like the, the Alien franchise is kind of a weird example because the, in that one, it's kind of the studio screwing with it, not necessarily the shift in director and also because Alien already had the precedent of shifting uh, directors, right? There are franchises that make it work. It's a different case-by-case -case basis, but this is definitely Definitely one instance where I can definitively say, because horror has a long-running track record of this, that the shift in directors kind of killed the momentum that we had going from those first two movies, right? Because the first one happens, you think, oh, wow, this was such an awesome self-contained story. There's no way they could possibly top this. And then the second one comes out. And while it's not as good as the first one, it's definitely like, okay, they could actually, like you know, keep this going, you know, because the second one comes out and you're like, holy shit, this is awesome. And then the third one comes out and there's a shift in directing and it's immediately, it's immediately noticeable. It kind of shifts the tone in a way that's not really, you know, that effective towards the story. And yeah, I just, it, it, it doesn't work ultimately. I yeah. Think. But you know, the reason why I'd say it doesn't qu quite literally fall on its face, like other scenarios where we've seen this happen is because we still have some of James Wan there. I mean, that's at least why I believe that it's not as pathetic as maybe we're making it seem. It's just that I loved the first two so much that I have to be hard on this third one because of how good they are in a medium that is... If there was ever a medium that had cinematic universes before cinematic universes, it's horror films. I mean, look at Elm Street, the Friday the 13th, Halloween quite literally has like... Oh, gee, whatever you know it's like how many how many movies are in that <laughs> franchise even with the reboot they rival it's, it's, marvel it's more than nightmare it's more than nightmare and, and friday the 13th it's like right? 13 or something chucky's got like eight yeah. installments and they got a reboot yeah. too they finally got that reboot last year i two years ago i heard it was like one of the better ones it was better than the friday the 13th and the and the nightmare on elm street remakes that they tried in the in 2009 yeah, and 10. i heard those i heard that too about the chucky although that little doll does not interest me at all not like annabelle does We're and so here's the interesting. thing the reason why I bring up that comparison and, and talk about that in our director segment, right? Because we're talking about like why this movie fell short and, and obviously James Wan probably is a big part of that. There's still like 
I don't know. There's like what four good Halloween movies, like really good ones, out of like a thirteen film series. Yeah, like it's Halloween, Halloween two, the reboot. Even though I didn't like it, and then what? I I heard well, like what was the other good one that people really liked? Like I, I heard Halloween three, even though that wasn't really attached to it. Like people liked it because it was like anthology based. You know, yeah, like was it wasn't that the it? Witch. But the, the, where I was going with that is, it's this franchise this conjuring universe the bar just is higher i think even their worst films are better than those other franchises worst films and it's just upsetting really is what it is as a fan right as a critic and a fan it's upsetting to see a misstep because we can accept them from the spin-offs we can accept them from a prequel like the nun although james wan being the lead creator and the director of that one it is a little unacceptable but everyone makes a mistake right not every at bat's going to be a hit like i said earlier but it's at least you want the main continuity to be preserved and this is just such right. a stain on that resume and so while i yeah. do think it could have been 10 times worse because I do feel James Wan-isms in there with the story, with the producing. I, I think he hasn't produced amazing films, but all the films he's produced that I've went and looked up are solid, and they do well. He knows what he's doing on a film set. It's just, man, this shows the power of the director because I don't think James Wan would have ever yep. had Vera Farmiga walk around in her you know x-men like powers he, they would have never explored that because you don't need it it takes away from the mystery the allure of this is watching the the warrens interact with the supernatural and and sort of wondering how she's able to tap in and then ed takes what she gives him and is obviously the one who goes and gets the job done he has the physicality she has sort of like the spirituality and when you show us that you it's like you, you tell film students, show, don't tell. But this is the one example where you say, hey, you don't show that because you ruin the mystery. You don't pull that curtain back. Do you agree with me on that? <laughs> like, what's your take on that? I, I, I do agree with you. And I think that, like... I mean, I mean it, these are two examples, right? One of which you will you will know, one of which you don't because you haven't seen the movies yet. I think of The Matrix and I think of John Wick, right? Where even though, right, the Matrix movies went in the direction that they did and they may have actually benefited from having the Wachowskis consulted by some other people in order to pull back on their ideas, the sentiment, I think, still stands where could you imagine if some random new person that, like, worked under them but didn't have kind of the amount of the, the specific... It factor that those specific directors had that made that movie what they were. You know, the Wachowskis being for The Matrix and then Chad Stahelski um, primarily for the John Wick movies, right? And you have this other guy come in and shift it around for, like, the third movie, you know? Not, like, the second one, right? Because at the very least then, it's, like, it's still relatively new so you can, like, get used to it, right? But it's, like, the for, for the third one, right? After you've had such this good, consistent track record going, you know? It just, it just throws everything off. And in a weird way, that's also kind of strangely... Again, a large part of what tanked the most recent Star Wars movies is the fact that, like, even though we had the adjustment from Force Awakens to Last Jedi and people hated it, by the time Rise of Skywalker came out, it felt, the reason why that felt so much worse is because there's only one thing that's worse than changing the thing that you liked. It's trying to then recognize that the thing that you that got changed was not good and then go backwards, which you never ever want to see in a movie that's inherently to me the ultimate reason why rise of skywalker doesn't work with a movie and while this is not nearly as egregious as that movie it's kind of i feel like the sentiment still stands because it feels like it's going backwards rather than forwards which you only ever want that forward progression from your franchise yeah and i was just gonna say dom earlier you, you brought up star wars and if there was ever a time to bring it up it's this most recent trilogy and it's it shows you know 
even if there is a blueprint, which I guess J.J. Abrams just recently came out and said there wasn't, but let's just hypothetically say there was, it shows how right. different directors, different creators can carry out the same plan in a completely different way. And I think that's what happened here because the, the plan still came from James Wan. Like, James Wan handed a script that he co-wrote, but, I mean, hey, man, he's the guy behind the series. I'm sure his say was pretty heavy in the writer's room. There's only one other guy anyways. Right. So th- they handed the keys to the castle to Chavez. They're like, hey, dude, listen. Right. Don't worry too much about it. We did a lot of the hard work, and I'm and I'm even gonna produce it. Like I'm still gonna be here. I'm just doing Aquaman, so I can't be fully around to direct it. But it does just show how important that directing chair is. It's crazy to me. It really does. It really, really does. It's funny because people talk all the time about how directors, it's becoming more and more like the 40s where directors are just pawns for the giant studios to push out these types of, these specific types of movies. But it's good to see that there are still some auteurs that can survive in kind of this blockbuster driven landscape overall. So really with that being said, that's kind of all that I have as far as the director's uh, segment goes. Yeah, I so was, do you want to get into final thoughts and yeah, start Yeah, I just want to make one more point there because I thought what you said about that yes. directors in the 40s thing and the way it parallels to today in regards to like it's uh, the Kevin Feige sort of saying hey just deliver this to me and it'll be fine whereas the role has right. been diminished Kevin Feige definitely a step up from certain studio executives in the 40s sure but, but there's still. still the homogenization now that you didn't have back then you had exactly. the unique touch back then and exactly. that's why I've been so hard this review is because this was some prestige elegant filmmaking similar to The Witch that y- you don't really get anymore and uh, it sucks when you see it just stomped all over in my opinion but yeah let's get into the final yeah. ratings because it's kind of where i was going anyways yeah final thoughts and star ratings the conjuring the devil made me do it i think the most creative thing about this movie is the title but the fact that it gets a subtitle in the third installment it should be an automatic red sign flag if you loved the first two conjuring movies i i can't really see anything that you're gonna like about this i think that typical horror fans who kind of are just in it for the jump scares and that overall feeling of tension they'll certainly get something from that here but i think that overall this film does not hold up a candlestick to the first two. I think it's a big step down. I think it takes so many steps backwards as far as the genre shifting. It's almost like shifting back into kind of like more of a generic form ultimately. I don't think the character work is as good. The mystery in and of itself I don't even think is that compelling because it becomes pretty obvious. It's like, okay, it's not a it's a demon. Okay, it's not a demon. Okay, it's a witch, you know, doing like witchcraft as far as that goes, but there's still a demon. But like the demons, are, it's very confusing. Like the plot itself is not well thought out. The story itself is not as well thought out in ways that the first two really were. The first two were so meticulous about making sure that every single little detail was handled and ironed out and that type of precision was just not there this time it's not at all the worst movie that i've seen so far this year but i can't at all recommend that you go watch this it's funny because we were talking about the theater uh, about like whether they should have gone to theaters to me this is a straight to three a straight to streaming drop this only gets three out of five stars for me yeah you know it's I, i think you raised great points even in your outro there where i'm like I just think I love James Wan for his successes so much that I was failing to see his failures. And uh, you're right, it was a bit messy, you know? It was a demon, then it was a witch, then it was a demon and a witch, and but that made no sense to begin with. And hey, you know, I think this is a blunder for James Wan as much as it is Michael Chavez. Uh, it's clearly the worst of the trilogy. I would say there's two ways to approach this. If you are a fine art fan and you see the fine art in the first two Conjurings, <laughs> leave that at the door and just invite some friends over who don't see the same things you see in film and just try to have fun with this. 
because you're going to be frustrated if you don't. But if you're just like a you know horror fan who wants to be scared, it's the latest and greatest thing, and you're going to have fun with it. But my score is uh, yes. is going to speak more to those people who want the prestige with the scares, and that's why I can't. I, this this might be a generous two point five. Like I feel like it should be lower, really? but I think I knew you were gonna go lower than me. I knew you were gonna go lower than me, even though I think you were kinder to this movie in the review than me. I still knew that you were gonna go lower than yeah, me. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I just can't, because the, the first two have they're just growing on me by the second. They're mm-hmm. just that good. They're just that good. I'm telling you, like it makes me even more excited once we get to the John Wick movie. I can't because, wait. Ah, man. I mean, we, we got to finish Fast and Furious first, but like we're we're gonna hit John Wick before the end of the year. Obviously, you know, probably around when we do our Matrix rewatch. So. People, that was it. Let us know your thoughts on the Conjuring. The Devil Made Me Do It. If you watched it, whether you, whether, whether, you, how well you think it compared to the first two, as far as you know, and what you thought of our thoughts on it. Let us know below in the comment section if you think that we were spot on, or if you think that we are absolute crackpots and that we don't know what we're talking about. Either way, we'll take it. <laughs> Just leave it in the comment section below. Also, be sure to click the like button and the subscribe button on this video. Be sure to also follow us on our social media profile presences, where you can keep up to date with everything that's going on in the Talking TV verse on Facebook and Instagram. At Talking TV podcast, Chris, where can the good people? Yeah, find they you? can find me in, in in similar places. We we run in similar circles. My personal profiles we do. in the podcast. Uh, that being Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Christian Ivanko. Ivanko spelled E V A N K O. I make music, which I would love for you to go listen to, and you can find that through the link in my bio. I have another podcast called Talking with Andrew and Chris, a show about life, music, and everything in between. Also in the link of my bio, spelled the same way we spell talking here. And and the last thing I want you guys to do is go follow my friend Dom on social media. He's pretty funny, and I don't think he gives himself enough credit. So thanks. It's funny because like people have been telling me that like, I've been noticing though that like my my reactions and my and my tangents are starting to get like a lot more laughs out of people. So I'm like I don't know maybe maybe I do need to maybe I do need to start like looking more into stand up comedy as far as that goes. You know just like I just use it as like my therapy. I'm just unloading on people and it, it, it's kind of really rewarding and therapeutic as far as that sense goes. And you can find all of that. I don't know. I might start making some demo tracks and putting them on my Instagram, which you can find at Movie Nerd Reviews on Facebook and Instagram. Let me know if you think I should start my own stand up comedy album and let us know your thoughts again on this movie on this movie and on all of our videos we've got so much more content coming to you guys next week it is another hbo max drop and another very very anticipated movie that a couple that a lot of people have already seen like with early screeners that being len manuel miranda and john m choose in the heights we've also got two days from now fast and furious 6 with the next installment in our fast and furious first time watch series and we'll be back this friday with the next variety hour and of course be sure to stay tuned and of course if you didn't already check it out check out last night's episode of talking thrones it was a great episode i actually had this guy on with me and uh it was a lot of fun talking about a certain particular characters down all of that and more you could find on the talking tv channel by once again subscribing to it as always people remember 12 seasons in a short film and watch more fucking movies we'll see you guys next time